0: You're listening to CAMS Talk, a podcast brought to you by the service users and professionals from East London NHS Foundation Trust, a podcast where you can hear us discuss, debate and challenge issues around child and adolescent mental health in the UK. Hi, everyone,
1: and welcome to another episode of the CAMS Talk podcast. My name is Ashlyn Callahan, and I am one of the service user participation leads for Bedfordshire and Leasing Camps. And I'm joined by my guest today for the third instalment of our three-part series exploring the effects of COVID on children and young people's mental health. Um, it's obviously a massive topic. And in the previous two episodes, we have discussed how young people have been affected with professionals. So for this episode, we've invited the young people onto the podcast to speak for themselves. Um, So I'm going to hand over to Chloe, if you would like to introduce yourself for us.
2: Hi, I'm Chloe, I'm 16, and I'm a service user.
1: Thanks, Chloe. Uh, Richie? Hi, I'm Richie, and I'm 13. Thanks, Richie. And I'm also joined by Nada today. Nada, do you want to introduce yourself?
3: Hi everyone, I'm Nada, I'm based at Luton Cams, I'm a trainee
1: psychologist. Perfect, thank you. So obviously this is a massive topic of conversation because all of our lives were completely turned upside down because of COVID and because of lockdowns. So I think it's best if we start at the beginning. So let's think back to March, 2020. What can we all remember about that time and the way that we were feeling and what we were experiencing?
3: I I mean, the the first word that comes to mind is uncertainty. Um, There was just this kind of thought of okay, what's going on? Um, How long is it going to last? What does it mean? How is it going to impact me? How is it going to impact others? Um, and the fact that we didn't have any answers to any of these questions, so just really, really kind of strong uncertainty. Um, I would say that's the kind of main, main thing that was happening, at least for me personally, in the beginning.
2: I think what Nada was saying, like the uncertainty and kind of it felt very chaotic um, not being able, like not knowing what's going on. And not knowing, um, kind of, particularly with education, like what my education would look like and what, um, and everyone panic buying as well was very scary and it kind of felt, I
1: don't know.
3: Yeah, I mean, I, I'd like to hear what Richie has to say. Um, and then I've got kind of a follow up question for you, Chloe. Richie, what do you think?
4: Yeah, I agree with that. Um, because my mum was at high risk of it, um, it was kind of almost scared to if anything would happen to her when it first started, considering it was a very new thing and it was rapidly increasing. Yeah.
3: So, I mean, there's two really interesting things there. Chloe, you mentioned education and Richie, you mentioned being at risk of the actual virus. And I think that's really interesting because we've just thought of two things that one is the direct impact of the the virus itself. And the other is a kind of secondary impact. Um, And I was really interested, Chloe, in what you said about the kind of chaos in the education bit, um, especially because, you know, at, at your age, you've got so many things that you're trying to plan, putting things in place, next steps, thinking about college and university, which is a very, very anxiety provoking time for anybody your age. And then to throw in a pandemic and in, into that, I can only imagine must have been very, very difficult.
2: Um. Uh, after March, we kind of the virtual learning wasn't in place because no one knew how long it was going to last and we were like oh it's going to be we'll only be off for two weeks and we'll go back to school after the Easter holidays and obviously that wasn't the case and so I was in year 10 at the time and that's where you learn a big chunk of the GCSE content and I think not only me but my friends and my peers we were all panicking and we were like well what's happening with our GCSEs and I think. We were also we were kind of looking to the year 11s because then they weren't going to sit their GCSE exams. Their GCSE exams got cancelled. So We were like ours are are ours going to be cancelled? Um, is will we sit them? Will we? Will there be like mini exams? Um, so on so on. And because we had like Nada was saying, it was very uncertain that also played a big part in my anxiety around um, like uncertainty, which was way before um, COVID even started anyway.
3: And I, I have a question for Richie. Um, I know that you're, ho- you're educated at home, aren't you? Um, so I wonder, you know, what was your experience like? Was it impacted by the initial lockdown or was it kind of business as usual? You know, I wonder what you think.
4: Um, one of the main ways that my parents would teach me is we would go out to so many places. It was mainly trips that we would go to, to get educated on things. And we did have workbooks still. um, So in that sense, it was the same, but we'd go on so many trips. um, And so that part was heavily impacted.
3: I mean, that's amazing that that was, that's kind of part of your standard education that you go on these trips. It sounds like a lot of practical work, which is really, really interesting, um, but also such a shame that that was impacted by by the lockdown. So um, yeah, I, I find that really interesting. And one other thing that I was thinking about is um, comparing the first lockdown to the second and the third lockdown, and just thinking about how different our experiences was were, you know, I'm, I'm speaking personally, but I'm sure that some people might be able to relate to this. Um, Ashling, what do you think? Was your experience of the first lockdown similar or different to the second and third lockdown?
1: Um, that's really interesting, actually, because I tend to just kind of blur lockdown together in my mind. And the past year was a lockdown, but actually it wasn't. It was three separate lockdowns. Um, and I think. Like we've all mentioned, the uncertainty at the start of the first lockdown, the kind of the shock. And also there were so many rumors flying around about like before anything was actually announced. Um, and I recall, you know, especially at work, um, I am a team of two, myself and Nikki, my co-host on the podcast. Um, and Nikki was away um (laughs) having a rescheduled holiday of a lifetime that only managed to last three days as a result of the pandemic Um, so she was off for two weeks and i was kind of on my own and every everything was absolute chaos Um, and i just recall one monday morning and it was actually it was meant to be a podcast recording day and just waking up and calling everyone and being like, so there's not going to be a podcast recording today. Um, we'll be in touch to reschedule, hopefully soon. And then just kind of sitting there and being like, now what? Like, I've okay, I've cancelled everything. Now what? Like, what, what do I do now? What's my job? Because it's not, it's not the seeing people that I was used to. And that's one of like the massive, my massive memories of the start of lockdown was just like, complete uncertainty um so that was lockdown one for me and actually um once that had passed I remember it being really sunny I got into running and that really helped me um and I just remember feeling kind of cocooned at home in the sun and going out for my daily walks and trying really really hard not to get too overwhelmed at the briefings um whereas in lockdowns two and three obviously it was winter it wasn't quite as nice and sunny to go out for a run and and deal with things in that way um and then there was all that uncertainty leading up to Christmas so it felt less jarring going into lockdowns two and three because we knew what we were doing we knew we'd done it all before but then um worse because it was like okay we can't go out and distract ourselves quite as much as we could before um so yeah despite them kind of blurring in my mind there's some really distinct memories that come out for each lockdown um Chloe how did you find it
2: I um was gonna say the first lockdown there was so much um like on social media and um I think speaking to my friends everyone was doing productive things so people would be going out running people would be going out like walking every day um people would be trying to continue with their education and I would just feel as if I wasn't doing anything productive um and obviously I wasn't the only one because we couldn't do anything productive um but when moving into the second lockdown we were still able to go into school I think it was November the second lockdown so that felt a lot more um better and I felt more productive because I could go to school and I could distract myself and it was my same normal routine and then moving into the third lockdown it was Christmas and normally Christmas is a time where you spend time with your family and you go around and um, have like Christmas parties and etc and you couldn't do that so the third lockdown I found was the most difficult one to deal with because it wasn't my idea of Christmas it didn't feel like Christmas and it was different and I was and the weather wasn't good as the first lockdown because it was quite warm and it was quite sunny and so you couldn't go out for walks and you couldn't go out and do things and so having christmas without spending time with my nan and my granddad and felt very difficult for me i don't know how anada and ashley and richie feel about it but that was my experience
3: you know what i'm i'm really interested to know what richie thinks but i, I just want to say that what you said chloe really resonated with me specifically the bit about um, people seeming to be very productive um, where where some of us were just sitting there like oh God what's happening uh, you know, I am a huge perfectionist and one of the things that you will do as a perfectionist is tend to associate your value as a person to your achievements or to your productivity Um, and therefore when you're not productive and you're not achieving what does that say about your value of course your sense of worth goes down and everything like that so that can be really really I remember feeling really shaken up by that because you have these expectations about what you will continue to achieve or what you want to achieve or be productive in and of course a lot of those won't be met um so uh, yeah that that's a very kind of strong memory that I remember and I had to really kind of work hard on reflecting and try to manage that without letting it kind of take over what do you think Richie what was your experience like
4: so I didn't look at the news very often so I didn't actually I couldn't tell that there were multiple lockdowns so for me it's almost just like one big one at the start um I was very productive. I would do walks quite often. And I even did a seven mile walk with some family members, which I I did regret. Um, but I think for some people, like my mum, it was hardest because she's had to stay in the house for over a hundred days because of it. And so she probably suffered the most because she especially really likes going out to different places. And like I said, well, because I'm homeschooled, we did a lot of things outside and we went to a bunch of museums and different meetups and things. And so I think for some people, um, the lockdowns, like my mom specifically, um, found it the hardest.
3: Yeah, that definitely sounds like it was really, really difficult. Um, one other thing that comes to mind is, you know, in thinking about the different lockdowns, isn't in, in the first one just like Ashling was saying earlier, we all would call our service users and say, okay, that this appointment is cancelled, we will get back in touch and then put it down and think when and what and where and how. And then eventually there was a plan to move to remote therapy. So my question is, um, when we kind of transitioned to working online from face to face, I'm really interested in knowing, um, Chloe and Richie, your experiences of moving to online work, you know, what did it meet your expectations? Did you feel that it was kind of the quality was, you know, matching face to face? I'm just really curious about your experience.
2: I started therapy with a new therapist end of March. So when the lockdown first um, started, so I didn't really know any different. I hadn't been under cams for that long and I wasn't having weekly sessions with cams before the lockdown. So I think have like having a new therapist and doing therapy online was all that I really knew. Um but I did find it really difficult because because I did used to go into CAMs, not every week, but not being able to have that like eye contact and learn people's body language and um I struggle with like picking up like people's body language cues so not having that face-to-face interaction with someone was very difficult and trying to build up that relationship with a new therapist over Zoom was incredibly difficult for me um but also I was really struggling with my anxiety so I found going out of the house difficult anyway so I feel like As much as the lockdown was really difficult for me, it also gave me a time to help me recover and help me um, really put my efforts into recovering. And I think without going into lockdown the first, without going into lockdown one, I wouldn't be where I am today. I feel like it really has shaped me as a person and really helped with my recovery. That's
3: really interesting. Richie, what what do you think?
4: I joined pretty recently, like a few months ago. So I've only known it um, face to, I mean, camera um, on Zoom. So for me, I would say it's been pretty normal because um, it would, I've used it a lot before um, I went into cams, like with my grandparents or sometimes I would help set it up when my parents want to talk to their friends on Zoom and stuff. So for me, it was pretty easy. And I hadn't really gone into cams face-to-face before. So for me, I guess it was pretty normal. Okay.
3: So Richie, then did you feel that it met your expectations or I I wonder, did you feel, okay, this is good. I'm getting something useful out of this. Or did part of you feel like I almost wish this was face-to-face instead?
4: Um, I'm not sure on that because I do prefer things like Zoom or like video call because I find it harder to speak to people in person. So in that sense, it's been easier for me, but and I'm, I'm not sure if having it face-to-face would be any different because like I said, I've never done it face-to-face before.
3: Yeah, I mean, I, I can comment a little bit on what it was like on our side of things as therapists um moving to kind of online work i i will kind of follow up on what you were saying chloe about eye contact and being there in person losing that does kind of make things a little bit more difficult um in terms of picking up on just really small emotional cues. Um, However, one thing that I found really interesting was working remotely sometimes helped you develop a, a kind of deeper perspective of this person's living environment. You know, sometimes you can, see their background sometimes you can hear what's going on in the background and a lot of the time that was actually really insightful and helped us kind of develop a better understanding of okay what is their world actually like in a way that we wouldn't have been able to pick up on at the clinic um one thing that was definitely a concern or an effort was okay how can i make sure that this young person is experiencing or receiving help at a quality that matches or exceeds even coming into the clinic. And that was something that I had to kind of keep in mind and research and look for strategies and look for various things. Um, And and that, yeah, I mean, at the moment, we're doing a combination of face to face and coming into the clinic. um, Because as you said, Richie, for some people, they find it easier to, to do online therapy. So I think one benefit that has come out of this is that we now have a combination. What were you going to say, Chloe?
2: I was going to say that another downside to uh, virtual therapy and virtual um, cam sessions is the fact that people in your house can potentially hear what you're saying. So you may not be able to be as honest as you were, say, in a face to face session. And also, I think that might be a worry for professionals. I don't know how about you, Nada, but I don't know, because there's confidentiality and there are probably other people in the house with you. Um, So I don't know what your experience is with that.
3: I mean, definitely confidentiality was a a huge thing to assess and reevaluate. You know, some of us are very lucky to be able to find a private space um, where you are able to work confidentially, um, you know, I I do feel lucky in that I did have that option available um, to really soundproof the space I'm in. Um, You know, I don't live with very many people. In fact, I only live with one other person. And, you know, we both just go totally different sides of the house or even outside the house and work in the the kind of the office outside. Um, So, but definitely that was a huge consideration. Um, And that's really interesting. I didn't quite think of that before that the service user might be worried about someone at home listening. That's um, kind of obvious really. I don't know why I hadn't thought of that before.
1: (laughs) It's, um, It's actually really interesting to be discussing this because one of the things that the trust did in like last summer sometime, June, July, I think it was was a couple of events called uh, the Future Services, I think it was. And one of the things that we did for those events is that we um, invited service users along, we invited professionals, we invited commissioners, we invited everyone with an interest in cams and said, okay, it's been a couple of months now, like what's working here, what's not working here? What do we need to learn? for any potential future lockdowns um and a lot of the the things that we're discussing now are things that came up there but one of the things I find really interesting actually is that um and it's something that came up then as well it's the the positive experiences of people accessing income support virtually um and, you know, there, there were definitely concerns around confidentiality and also around safeguarding, because if you're having a really difficult conversation and you're in the clinic and you're face to face, we we can see, we can assess your safety um, and make sure everything's in place and everybody's comfortable. Um, but if I'm having a difficult conversation with a young person and then they, they log off the call and they're just left with it, Um, you know that was one of the other really big concerns that we discussed there but I just find it really interesting that actually um, accessing virtual therapy did make the therapy and support more accessible for you. So
2: I was going to say there had been times where um, I had a really difficult therapy session and I couldn't I felt like I couldn't speak to anyone um so I'd be we'd finish the therapy session and I'd be really distressed or I'd be really upset and then I just felt like I had to deal with it by myself whereas if I'm distressed in a therapy session face to face then um my therapist could try and calm me down whereas that wasn't the case virtually and yeah
3: Yeah, I I certainly experienced that sometimes and, you know, I do feel that and I I felt the kind of separation at times where it was difficult, you know, even for me to sit there and I can tell this young person is distressed and I could tell that part of it didn't feel right to just hang up. Part of me didn't feel right to just hang up. Um, But, you know, I, What I learned, you know, reflecting on that and and just kind of wanting to be overprotective and wanting to care for, I reflected on that. And I thought, well, in a way, this is not forcing, but giving the young person no, no choice but to have to cope on their own. So I always ended up wondering, I wonder what they're doing right now, because, you know, we ended on a difficult note and I wonder what they're doing right now to to manage that so I guess my question for you my next question for you guys is first of all in that situation what kind of thing would you do to to self-soothe and to manage and hold yourself um, and then extended from that throughout the lockdowns how did you cope generally what was helpful
2: I um, had a TV program that I used to watch, and that really used to help me calm me down. But I was doing DBT at the time, so I was using my self-soothe skills and my um, like crisis safety plans, etc. Um, yeah, Richie, what
3: could you tell us a little bit about some things that you found helpful to manage some of the
4: difficult times? I usually just kind of go to any sort of distraction I can find, Um, like playing a game or watching a show, or I also enjoy colouring things. And so usually if I'm in a situation where I'm distressed or I don't like something which has just happened, I usually just try to go to one of those things to distract myself from what's happened and hopefully take my thoughts away from it
1: that's um that sounds like really really good advice generally but um I'm just thinking how actually one of the things that was a result of everything going virtual and lockdown was that we were able to facilitate groups um i guess like logistically more easily rather than being based in a county clinic that could be like three bus journeys away from people in central beds, or, um, you know, they're kind of getting picked up and dropped off and sorting those logistics. We were able to have groups where um, you just logged on as you did with everything else in your life. Um, and I recall one of the things that worked really well was a virtual group, loosely art therapy based sessions. And the, um, I mean, lots of the the art therapist experiences you can hear on a previous podcast where we discussed it in more detail, so I won't go on too much, but um, that creative outlet and that um, kind of designated space for that distraction and that self-soothe was something that a lot of the young people felt really, really helpful and something that Was We've done it before face-to-face, which is brilliant, and we've spent loads of money on art materials and got everyone in a room and just everyone went for it. Um, But, yeah, there was lots of different ways of distraction. I think, actually, that's one of the, hopefully, one of the strengths the young people found in cams is that we did um, think on our feet a little bit, and, and try lots of different things. And I'm not saying everything that we tried was successful, um, but we definitely thought more creatively.
3: I think distraction is a really interesting strategy because sometimes it's a great thing to do. And sometimes maybe it's not such a good thing to do because we're not really solving anything. We're just kind of putting it in the corner. So, I, I mean, I can reflect on one strategy that i would use that isn't a distraction strategy which is just an acceptance strategy um, where i would put the issue in the front of my mind and i would say okay let me just observe this and think about it in a non-judgmental way without trying to really end up with some kind of solution or next step um, and I found that to be quite powerful sometimes to just put the thing that is causing distress or the thing that is upsetting, that's in the front of your mind and, and saying, okay, you're here. I'm not thrilled that you're here. I'm not happy. I'm not over the moon. Um, but at the same time, I'm not totally broken and shattered by this. It's okay if you're here. It's fine. I'm not going to be you. A new. You're, you can just do what you need to do. But I will also do what I need to do. Um, I wonder, you know, Chloe and Ashling, have you guys
2: maybe used any strategies different from distraction? Um, I started DBT at the beginning of um, the first lockdown and I always find that DBT has essentially um, saved me. And so like the self-soothe skills, tip skills, um Yeah, the DBT skills are really helpful because some some of them are distraction, but also what Nada was saying, like there's acceptance skills and validation. And I think doing DBT while in the first lockdown has really like helped me put those skills that I have learned in therapy into real life and into real life situations where realistically, if I was doing DBT while I was still in school or while I was still doing things um, around um, like going out with my friends, et cetera, I probably wouldn't have put them in place, but I was kind of forced to put them into place. Does that make sense?
3: That's really interesting. So it's almost like the, um, the lockdown gave you a safe space to practice in an in a controlled environment before we go out and we try it in the real life unpredictable environment i mean i find that you know super interesting and What I find even more interesting is the fact that you've identified that and you've been able to reflect on it just now, how that was actually quite helpful, that you've been able to have a pause and in this controlled environment, try these strategies that maybe in an unpredictable real-life situation might have felt a little bit vulnerable or unsafe. Um, And I think that's really useful to know from a therapist's perspective because that will then indicate to me You know, when I am encouraging a young person to try or expose themselves or practice various things, I can think about, okay, how can we take a first step where they can explore these things in a controlled environment where they feel in control and they feel that they um, are able to be vulnerable without huge consequences and then work our way up to that real life unpredictable situation? I mean, that's really helpful. So thank you for mentioning that.
1: It's, it's just so interesting to hear um you know if you kind of looked just at the headline of this podcast you would think oh it would be lots of really negative conversations and my education was rubbish and my therapy was rubbish and my social life was rubbish and whatever um but actually what's coming out is that okay um yeah things were difficult and things were different but perhaps now that we're kind of a year 15 16 months on, we're able to look back and go well actually i adapted in this way and actually it wasn't all bad because it allowed me to do this and um yeah and we're still learning now we're still having conversations with each other about what happened and being like oh right okay that's really interesting and i think one of the the things that is really positive particularly for the CAM service and hopefully for other services as well, is that if you had approached, I think, probably a lot of health services and said, um, right, I would love a virtual appointment, it would be so much easier for me to have therapy virtually, I find being one-to-one in a clinic room with my therapist a really difficult space to open up, Um, your response would not have been what it is now your response would have been oh no no sorry we don't work in that way our therapists don't work in that way maybe in really special circumstances um but now because you know we were forced to adapt actually now we're we're working virtually we are having phone sessions um young people are going out for like walks in their local environment and having conversations there rather than being like stuck in that clinic room Um, so yeah I think it's really interesting just hearing all the positives and all the reflection that's coming out of these conversations actually yes it was difficult but it wasn't all bad and we've all grown from it in ways that we probably wouldn't have expected to at the start of March last year
3: and i and i think ashing this is something that i've been thinking about for a while now um you know thinking about our young people who come out of all of this uncertainty and have had to adapt themselves on top of some difficulties that they were experiencing anyway that i think the fact that they're you know they're here and they're I don't want to use a word as strong as they're okay but they're managing um and they're you know moving forward don't stop moving i think that's a huge testament to you know a lot of you guys and your strength um and sorry if it is cringy to say but i do end up saying it a lot because i really believe it um you know it must have been so so difficult for so many of you guys and and the fact that you're still here and you're marching on and you're doing things and you're adapting and you're being flexible and you're using your strategies it's it's a huge you've got now a huge toolbox of skills that you've just developed and i think a lot of you know you guys should be really really proud of yourselves
1: I think also another thing that I wanted to mention was the fact that lockdown actually
2: helped me find myself and it has helped me reflect on who I am as a person. Um, being away from the school environment and being away from, you know, other teenagers, although that has impacted my socialisation skills, also it has helped me find myself and be comfortable the ball with who I am. Um, I think without the lockdown, I would never, I wouldn't feel as comfortable um, with myself as I am today. Um, and also I feel like a lot of people feel the same as well. Because um, it gave people the time to reflect and the time to kind of be in that own space and figure out, okay, this is who I really am. And this is. Um, yeah
3: that's really interesting Richie I wonder have you had a chance or have you noticed that you've you know reflected a little bit on you know I want to say Chloe's words finding yourself and looking inwards a little bit have you experienced any of that
4: in some way yeah Um, with more so my gender rather than me as a whole person and to be honest I still don't think I'm 100% sure with what I think I am and I think that the lockdown has also possibly done the same for a lot of other young people with things like their gender and sexuality or gender expression Um, because for me it only happened because I've had more free time which means I've been able to research these things and try and find out more about them which has then helped me to find out more about myself in that way
2: i do think that's really special what were you gonna say chloe and um what i was saying was i know richie's homeschooled but um i think having time away from school and sometimes school isn't particularly pleasant place um when it comes to gender and sexuality um i'm not saying it's bad but some other young people um don't really, are not really accepting and also i think having that time away from school um has been really important for some people because what richie was saying it has helped people um kind of come to terms with their gender and their sexuality um but also maybe it hasn't maybe it's done the opposite because family are not accepting or people that you live with um, I think that's really important to mention as well that it's okay if you haven't found yourself and it's okay if you haven't done anything productive in the in the lockdowns
3: you know what Chloe that is so I'm really interested in that because it's true there was a bit of pressure to kind of come out as a butterfly of sorts like as if we were all cocooning um, and doing what we needed to do to come out as this like version 2.0 improved me butterfly. Um I've I'm fitter, I have been running, I am more reflective because I've been looking inwards, I've been doing all these hobbies, and on top of that, I found myself. Hooray. But I mean, it is, it's quite a, you know, you're right, there was a lot of pressure, and I wonder, you know, I don't, I don't think there was a an ease in the air in terms of if you don't have anything to contribute here it's fine you could just say I've had a horrible time.
2: I think another thing was on social media um there was this big like expectation that you should be running and you should like lose weight and you should really focus on yourself and I think for people um who struggle with eating disorders that could be really difficult and that could trigger and i know that on tiktok and on instagram it was kind of this expectation that you should lose weight and you should become like this new person and you should come you should come back to school and you should be a completely different person um that was just not the case for the majority of people
1: and it's it's funny reflecting on our conversation so far because we've established that there was a lot of pressure and a lot of expectation to change in a way that society would praise you for and actually we've established that the ways that we've changed and the ways that we've developed are um for ourselves and you know we've been able to explore ourselves without that that external pressure of society um and peers and colleagues and teachers and other people passing judgments Yeah, it's just really interesting to hear the contrast between at the start of maybe March April I remember everyone was posting and I remember sitting down with a piece of paper in front of me and I'd written down like what do I want to be different at the end of lockdown and I was like I don't know. I know, I can look on social media and tell you all the ways that I should be different at the end of lockdown. But I'm really just as uncertain in myself as I was in everything else that was going on. Um, so, yeah, very interesting that that pressure didn't really hopefully translate to changes in behaviour, but just made us all feel a little bit like everyone else was succeeding
3: Yeah. I mean, that that is definitely something to think about. Um, I think what this lockdown did is it isolated a lot of us. And what isolation does is that it makes us think we're the only ones in the world. And if we're the only ones in the world, then nobody else feels this way. If nobody else feels this way, then nobody understands. And oh my goodness, it's like this, you end up trapped in this cycle. Um, And I, you know, the most important thing that really we should continue to do is quite simply just not, you know, take a non-judgmental, curious approach, you know, and and just reflect on yourself a little bit and, you know, try to understand if there is a bit of anxiety, where is this coming from? Why am I judging myself here? What was actually going on in the world? And is this really all about me or was this everyone's experience too? Um,
1: you know, it's it's very interesting. And a lot of the themes that we've been discussing in this podcast do match up or kind of roughly translate into the discussions that I had with Professor Townsend Ford and with Dr Chowdhury in the experiences of the CAM service and of education services and other services um, and the experiences of young people which is good because we recorded two conversations with professionals talking about what we think is happening. Um, And it sounds like the impression they're getting is similar to the experiences that young people are actually having, Um, which means that hopefully all of their kind of education experience will allow them to support people in the best way possible through not only what has just happened, but also what is continuing to happen. Um, I mean, I can speak from experience in the participation team at CAM that there was a period a couple of weeks ago where uh, we'd received one email saying, "Okay, what are you doing for young people face to face in summer? Like, how are you transitioning out of virtual? And then the next email would be, "Uh, I hope you're not doing anything face to face. You need to maintain this virtual stuff. And suddenly it was March 2020 again and we were like, how do we move forward in this? What's everyone else doing? What should this look like? Um, and actually a lot lots of decisions suddenly having to be made again. Um, so I think it might be nice to kind of wrap up this po- podcast by thinking about how we're moving forward kind of individually and as a service. Um, so Nada, how are you feeling at the moment? Are you experiencing that similar pressure to kind of go more face-to-face?
3: I mean, at this point, I'm really putting the control in the service users hands. It's fully up to them. Would you like to see me at the clinic or would you like to do this virtually? Whatever they say is what goes. Um, And in the end of the day, you know, this lockdown, the regulations adhering to certain things, a lot of it can get a bit political as you say some people are saying oh i really hope you're not seeing people face to face whereas other people are saying what are you guys doing for young people this summer so it really can get quite political and in the end of the day you do kind of have to take an independent stance while of course adhering to what is legal um and the advice from the government and you just have to take an independent stance and say you know when i'm providing a i'm putting the service user first this is patient-centered. So what do you want? I'll do what you want. Um, and if they come in and, and they're happy to wear a mask, then great. You know, Alternatively, some, some young people are exempt. Fine. Alternatively, some young people, you know, we can't force anyone if they don't want to wear a mask. Some young people don't. Um, and in the end of the day, I'm here to provide a service, which is a mental health service. So I'm going to stick within my remit. And I'm not going to extend beyond that because As I say, I don't want to enter the political bits. Um, So that's something that that's the stance that I take now, which is totally patient centered.
1: Um, Chloe and Richie, how are you feeling at the moment when it comes to moving forward, either with therapy, with education, socially? Do you know how you want things to look
2: for you at the moment? um I have just finished my GC- GCSEs well the mini assessments and I am currently awaiting my GCSE results um which I think is in 12 days which is quite scary um um I'm quite apprehensive um with meeting up with people I always do a COVID lateral flow test before I meet up with anyone um and I know that some of my friends don't. And that does make me quite anxious. I feel like now I'm more anxious about getting COVID than I was March 2020. And I've not to get political, but I feel like it shouldn't be like that because the world is open again and um, I'm allowed to meet up with my friends and I'm allowed to do things um but I'm scared I'm still scared of getting COVID I'm probably more scared than what what I um and also I'm scared for my education because I missed out so much um not only because of lockdown but because of my mental health as well I am scared of getting my GCSE results because they may not be what I wanted to get and also I think starting a new school so start in sixth form with covid is it going to go back, are we going to go back into lockdown are we going to am I going to have to do my a-levels on um google classroom um that is just the uncertainty that is kind of going around my head at the moment and I feel like that's a lot that's the same for quite a lot of young people as well um So people in my, yeah, I know my best friend, she's quite really scared to get her GCSE results because she's a high achiever and she's missed out on, we've missed out on like probably a year of education. And I think,
1: uh, yeah. Richie, how are you feeling about it all?
4: I'm just kind of taking things as they come to me. I'm not, really ever a planned person or think about what could or might happen very much so with the whole like getting back into socializing thing with people or doing other things and going to places like I used to do I'm kind of just taking it head on as they come to me
3: And I think I love, that I love that approach of taking it step by step. I just have to say that is a really really good
1: approach. Yeah, I was just going to say I think that's a perfect place to kind of wrap this up. I think it's where we started in March 2020. I think it's where we are now, but we've explored that middle bit. Um and I just really want to thank you all for joining me in this conversation. It's been I found it really interesting. And I'm really hoping that the listeners will take away quite a lot and learn and, and hopefully feel a little bit heard and a little bit seen as well, because hopefully they'll, they'll be able to relate to some of the positives as well as some of the struggles that we've all experienced. Um, so, Gnada, thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Clow, thank you for joining us.
2: Thank
1: you, I really enjoyed this conversation. Good, I'm glad. Um, And Richie, thank you for joining us as well. It's been really nice to have your perspective as someone who's a little bit younger, as someone who's home educated. Um, It's really important that I think we've had you in this conversation, so thank you for joining us.
4: Thank you, I really enjoyed it.
0: You've been listening to Cams Talk, a podcast brought to you by the Luton and Bedford Cams team and the Luton & Bedford Service User Participation Group. If you'd like to hear more from us, just go over to camstalk.com and subscribe. You can also subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or any of the other platforms that you're using. Once you've subscribed, you'll get notification on your device every time we release a new episode. If you want to comment or share your views, you can contact us on Twitter using camstalk, or you can send us an email using info at camstalk.com. One last thing before we go. Don't forget to use the hashtag CamsTalkPodcast whenever you comment on social media. We'll speak to you soon.